Hello, Bob Boylan here. Oh, thank you. We always love hearing how important shows like All Songs Considered and Tiny Desk Concerts are to our listeners. Yes, when you give to your local NPR station, it helps make everything we do possible, and you don't have to do it over the phone. Go to donate.npr.org music to give online. And thank you. Remember to give before the end of the year. Just a quick note that this episode was originally recorded live on December 10th on NPR Music's YouTube channel. Hey everybody from NPR Music and All Songs Considered, I'm Robin Hilton. Welcome to our live listening party. This is where we're going to count down the top five songs of 2020, the songs that the NPR Music team picked as their favorites of the year. And joining me for this countdown and to talk about the music is Ann Powers in Nashville. Hey, Ann. Hello. Christina Lee in Atlanta. Hey. And we're all over the place. From New York, taking a break from the amazing new podcast, Louder Than a Riot, host Sydney Madden. Hey, Sydney. Hey. Uh, okay, so we're going to get right to music. As I said, we're going to count down the top five songs from NPR Music's Best of 2020 list. Uh, and we start with the track that came in at number five from Bad Bunny. This is Safa Era. <laughs> Bad Bunny, the song that came in at number five on NPR Music's top five song list, a song that came out all the way back in February. It feels like it was a billion years ago. It is from Bad Bunny's album YHLQMDLG, an acronym for the Spanish phrase, I do whatever I want. And Christina, I think this is really a pretty remarkable song. A minute into it, you realize that it's going to just keep changing and becoming lots of different songs. You know, there's lots of beat changes and different raps and samples. It's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Robin. Um, I think those ambitions are pretty remarkable because you're also linking together these different generations of reggaeton with Jolie Randy as well as Diango Flo, you know, these veterans in the genre. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting about those um, those changes in the song is that it's also very nostalgic for a lot of people. Like, I'm just remembering going out to parties once upon a time and hearing the DJs do their party mix. But specifically, this is speaking to Marquesina's, these uh, Puerto Rican garage parties where really reggaeton took root as underground culture first. Even with all of this nostalgia and so much changing of pace, one one thing that I love that is always a hallmark of a Bad Bunny song is is the nuance and then the bulbous, like relentless bass line that carries you through the whole thing. So even though this is like a smorgasbord and a sampler of four songs in one, it's still like a signature Bad Bunny pop-off song. 
I wonder how you all think this song fits in with Bad Bunny's extraordinary year, including a late uh, year drop of a new album, which uh, became the first Spanish language album at the number one spot on the Billboard charts, I think maybe in history. Yeah, I think it was pretty remarkable, Anne, because I think um, we're coming off a year where Bad Bunny was sort of like an ambassador of sorts. Like he was really inviting people in, um, people outside of his culture to like revel in this movement, right? Uh, whether that was collaborating with Drake and Cardi B to performing at the Super Bowl. So, I mean, by comparison, Safarera is like sort of uh, like Bad Bunny introducing us to the culture he came up with, like completely unfiltered. Uh, so that's how it resonates with me. As far as him being an ambassador, like how you're talking, Christine, how you're talking about Christina, I love that he never fashioned himself to be a crossover artist. He he used what made him unique and what made his culture unique and what has been like the constant bloodstream of what reggaeton has always been. And he crossed it over into American culture. And I feel like everything that he's built on this year in a year when artists could not tour. And if anyone who's ever in present company has seen him live, he's an amazing performer. And he gets really into his outfits, his uh, his costumes, his, his stage presence is amazing. He's reinvented like what a quarantine artist can do. I love well, that. Well, I mean, crossing over is a, is a whole new game in this moment of global pop, don't you think, mm. Sid? Because um, with Afrobeats coming to us from artists like Tiwa Savage and, yes. and the incredible uh, Latinx diaspora of music this year. I, I mean, where would they even want to cross to? They exactly. are already in the center. <laughs> You're right. You're totally right. <laughs> yeah. So we're meeting them where they are. Go ahead, Robin. I, I was just going to say that so many of the songs that we seem to love most this year either spoke to the to the times or were, or were sort of just the medicine that we needed to get through the days and Safa Adder was was certainly the latter you know it was it was an escape but the next song on our our list of uh, the top 5 songs addressed one of the the biggest defining and ongoing moments of 2020 uh, so coming in at number four on our top five songs of 2020, this is the country singer Mickey Guyton. Uh, her song is called Black Like Me. Little kid in a small town I did my best just to fit in Broke my heart on the playground mm. When they said I was different Oh, now Now I'm all grown up and nothing has changed Yeah, it's still the same Day and night For an old house and a used car <laughs> Just to live that good life mm. It shouldn't be twice as hard Oh, now 
nothing has changed Yeah, it's still the same It's a Mickey Guyton, the the song Black Like Me, coming in at number four on NPR Music's uh, top five list. Uh, Country singer based and there in Nashville where you are. Uh, And this really powerful song came out in early June of this year. It was sort of right when the the protests over the killing of George Floyd were unfolding across the country. Robin, it's been such an important year for challenging presumptions in every corner of our culture, you know, right down to the root. And that includes country music. Even the very existence and definition of country music, some people are wondering why this genre exists and why it has been historically so white. Mickey Guyton is one of the greatest voices in Nashville, in my opinion. I've been following her career for many years as she has uh, worked to find her place in Nashville. And you know what? She has always done beautiful music. But she is speaking her truth in such important ways now. And uh, there were two songs, another one called What Are You Going to Tell Her that she released this year that is sort of a, a diary of her trying to tell younger women how difficult it can be to make it in Nashville as a woman. And then, yes, this song, she had it in her pocket for a while, and she really thought hard about when to release it. And she released it at the perfect moment. And it has been a political tool in Nashville causing conversations that have needed to happen for decades, maybe maybe a century. Oh, my God. I'm so glad to hear that. And especially since like from the moment I hit play, you can tell that she's really studied her craft. Like my first impression of it wasn't even like the subject matter. It was the fact that like this is a country ass artist. You know, I even even as somebody who listens to country music casually, I'm hearing the telltale signs like you're talking about the humble beginnings here in America, calling out the white picket fences and things like that. So it's really a shame that she's had to like undergo all this stress um, to make it through the industry as much as she has. But then, of course, we have this song, A True Gift, as a result. One thing I will say is that someone who doesn't normally listen to country music, I was floored by this song. And I'm so glad it ended up in our top five. And and I always learn from other music critics who are experts in their respective genres. And one thing you've taught me, Anne, is, is the resilience of authenticity in country music. And one thing I always love about country, even if I'm not a big listener uh, of it, is the simple, the simplicity of the spellbinding stories. And that's exactly what this song is. She says so much with so little. There's one line where she says something about, my daddy worked all his life for a small house and a used car. And then she goes, hmm. Like that's not, that's <laughs> yes. not, that's not a lyric, but that, hmm, that that's sigh it. and that, that, tension on her shoulder and on her breath is so indicative of of all the systemic inequalities that she's addressing in such a simple way with that song. Absolutely. And that that uh, that sigh is uh, also her tribute to Whitney Houston, one of her great inspirations, I think, in terms of if you think about the way Whitney would sing a ballad Mm. and how she would have this just titanic voice similar to Mickey Guyton, uh, but then would just, you know, slide the humanity in the the subtle ways. 
When Mickey did her uh, tiny desk for us on the windowsill, she placed a Whitney Houston album and a Patsy Cline album. And I think that's a great representation of her inspirations. She started Christina as a child being inspired by Leanne Rimes, you know. She, oh, wow. And I think that's an important thing to say is that we expect authenticity to, you know, we think of authenticity and we think, oh, someone, because of their identity, because of their race or their ethnicity, they must at root be a thing. They must, Mickey mm -hmm. Guyton must be an R&B singer who switched over to country. No, she is a woman from Houston who grew up outside of Houston, who grew up loving, you know, loving both and truly as much a country singer as anybody ever in the history of the genre. That's amazing. Well, I mean, you know, NPR music is always about the off kilter and left of center type of discovery of artists. And now I need to go look up her tiny desk. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and your point about diversity in Nashville, uh, Mickey Guyton is the only black woman signed to a major country label. Uh, and she's yes, also the, <laughs> the first black woman to be nominated for a Grammy uh, for best country solo performance. So Give her all the Grammys now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. But I do think things are changing and, and, and Mickey's an, an engine for change. We have uh, artists like Jimmy Allen and, and Kane Brown. Uh, we, you know, Darius Rucker is now almost an elder. <laughs> He's a young elder in the field. <laughs> and also, I just want to shout out the Mavericks uh, for their record in Espanol. Uh, country band, the Mavericks, finally made an all-Spanish album. I was so excited to hear that. So let's let's believe in this country. This is what country has to be. Mickey Guyton, the, the song Black Like Me coming in at number four on NPR Music's uh, top five song list for 2020. And we're going to go now to number three on our list from Megan Thee Stallion and Beyonce. It's Savage Remix. I'm a savage, had a too nasty. Talk big shit, but my bank account match it. Hood, but I'm classy. Rich, but I'm ratchet. Haters kept my name in their mouth, not a gagging. Bougie. He say the way that thing move is a movie. I told that boy we gotta keep it lowly, me the room key. How them bled the block and now it's hot, bitch. I'm Tunji. I'm mood and I'm moody. I'm a savage. Okay. Classy, bougie, ratchet. Okay. Sassy, moody, hey. nasty. Hey. Yeah. Acting stupid. What was happening? What was happening? What was happening? Yeah. Bitch, I'm a savage. Yeah. Classy, bougie, ratchet. Yeah. Sassy, moody, nasty. Hey. Tick-tock when I dance On that demon time, she might start her OnlyFans Big B and that B stand for bands If you wanna see some real ass, baby, here's your chance I say left cheek, right cheek, drop it low and swing Texas up in this thing, put you up on this game I be parking my frame, gang, 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 gang If you don't jump to put jeans on, baby, you don't feel my pain Please don't give me hype Savage remix in at number three from Megan Thee Stallion and Beyonce uh, The original version of this song came out in March and then a month later in April, we got this remix uh, featuring Beyonce and then Sydney. Just a month after that, in May, it became Megan Thee Stallion's first ever number one track on Billboard's Hot 100. 
Yeah, it was one of the most anticipated collabs in hip hop and black music all year, I'll say. And whew, did they deliver? <laughs> so Savage was already a tour de force by itself when it dropped off uh, Megan Sugar EP, as you said, Robin, earlier in the year. But prior to that, on New Year's Day, I want to say, Megan posted a photo of herself and Beyonce and obviously the CEO, Blue Ivy Carter, all in one photo <laughs> together. And it was just like, yo, this is the Houston matchup that everybody needs. Oh my gosh, when is it going to drop? So we always knew that something big was coming. And then in obvious Beyonce fashion, zero promo, they just dropped the remix out of thin air. Thin air. And I don't know about y'all, but uh, we have this thing at work at NPR called Slack. And I'm not usually a big fan of Slack. Slack has a very um, triggering notification sound that I don't like. But that day, I slacked it in every channel that I'm a part of. And I'm a part of way too many channels. So first off, before we get into the pageantry and the lyricism and the like, swag of it all, I want to know where everybody was when you first heard this song. Oh, my goodness. I, I was probably in my, in my house because <laughs> I haven't been anywhere else. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't have that origin story moment with it. it to me, it was more a song that that uh, just stayed with me all year, you know, mm. and even listening to it today, it just seems uh, consistently fresh. But where were you, Christina? I was right here. My ass was right here in this seat because I'm not going anywhere this year. But I, it did strike me as like this huge watershed moment, right? Because, of course, it's Megan teaming with her childhood idol, as Sydney said. But then also, I mean, this is even prior to her debut album, Good News, which just dropped a second ago. So it was funny, like Megan making this grand statement showing that she had like truly arrived as a mainstream force before the album even dropped, which I think is I remarkable. I have to say, Sid, I probably was in Slack. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Oh, I was in Slack and one of my coworkers did me with it. Yeah. I was there going. Robin, yeah, where were you? In Slack, in a Slack channel, probably here in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, first of all, that was a trick question. I'm glad everyone is quarantining safely, so you all passed that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was at but, the club. I'm sorry. I right? That's what, exactly. That's what some people might have said. But um, what I love most about this is, aside from everything we already named and this big pop culture phenomenon moment, is the fact that they didn't just make it a run-of-the-mill remix. They made it an entirely new new song. Beyonce has two verses. Megan has two fresh and vivacious verses on there. And they made their lyrics like do double and triple duty because a lot of the references in here are so cheeky and they move at the speed of black pop culture. Like when Beyonce says hips tick tock when I dance. Let me recite the poetry. <clears throat> hips tick tock when I dance. <clears throat> on my demon time, I might start at OnlyFans. That's talking about the viral TikTok challenge that Savage spawned earlier in the spring. That's talking about the uh, Instagram, uh, short-lived Instagram series by Tory Lanez that he that he coined Demon Time. And OnlyFans is a shout out to all the women who are getting all their entrepreneurial hustle on in the midst of a global pandemic. So I think the the imagery that it conjures, the the cheekiness that it evokes is just fun that we all needed while we were stuck inside working. Do you feel um, like this was a kind of anointing of Megan by Beyonce? Like, do you need that when you are someone like Megan? Do you need Beyonce to, to be like, 
Yes, you. I don't know. I'm having uh, images of the crown. <laughs> The Netflix mm, show, The Crown. The, the, I think the Crown was cast. <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome to stand next to it. I, I want to see The exactly. Crown. I want to no, but you know, like is Beyonce. She's not the queen mother because I mean that she's not you know in that in that doyen role. But but there is something about the connection that that the lineage being announced with this that seems important. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead, Christina. No, all I was saying was that, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, It definitely felt like an anointment for sure. But at the same time, I think it also spoke to the gravitational pull that Megan Thee Stallion has. Like when I as I kept revisiting this song, I kept thinking this this might be the I'm Every Woman of 2020, where instead Mm. of like five Shaka Khans on the music video, you as sassy, moody, nasty, Beyonce and Megan, you know what I mean? (laughs) Just all up on the screen. It just kind of spoke to like their relatability as well. Savage Remix is the song from Megan Thee Stallion and uh, Beyonce coming in at number three on NPR Music's list of the top five songs of 2020. We still have two more to go for this special live edition of All Songs Considered. Uh, But first, we do need to take a short break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com songs to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. All right, we have one more track to feature until we get to our number one song of the year. Coming in at number two on NPR Music's Top 5 Songs of 2020, this one is from Christine and the Queens. It's People... I've been sad. It's true that people have been sad. People have been sad. It's true that people have been gone. People have been gone. It's true that people have been missing out. Have been missing out. Missing out for way too long. People have been gone. It's just that me, myself, and Christine and the Queen's People, I've Been Sad. Uh, Another track that came out about a thousand years ago in February 
So it was pre-pandemic, but and it, it really connected with uh, people during the pandemic and lockdown and all the disruptions and, and pain that it has caused. I see this song as uh, sort of encapsulating two trends, Robin, and I'll talk about the first first. But first, let me just shout out Eloise Adelaide Letissier is Christine and the Queens. And this French singer-songwriter and producer has gone through such interesting transformations in the past few years, both musically developing this rich, lush, but yet minimalist sound that we hear in this song, as well as um, sort of moving through uh, uh, performances of gender and, and you know figuring out her own identity in a beautiful and inspiring way. Uh, I think that is just such an important part of Christine the Queens, and we saw that in that video that we just watched. But the other trend this uh, encapsulates, going back to what you were saying, is sad disco, <laughs> or uh, you might say dancing alone. Dancing alone. Uh, NPR Music just you know ran a list of songs uh, that we all danced alone to this year, and I think that is one reason why this song resonates so much. There's quite a bit of dance music that somehow worked. Uh, within the confinement of our own homes. And I think this is almost the epitome of that. The melancholy is, you know, it just, it, it it covers you. But then there is that subtle beat, even though it's, you know, it's not like a wild banger, but it, it does also move your body. Yeah, I think that this song is like really uh, meditative for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously there's like the sort of arrangement that comes with it, right? But I think, when people think of meditation, so often they think like it's about like kind of, you know, shoving your emotions to the other, casting your emotions to the side or think or, you know, just kind of like removing all thought. But really, I think this felt so appropriate for a time when I think a lot of us felt tempted to throw a weighted blanket over our head or to lose ourselves into work only to recognize like, hey, we're not actually being as productive as we need because the song is really sort of like confronting you with like this emotion. And it's saying like, hey, you know what? Just just rest here and it's okay. It's totally fine. Yeah. It's giving me glitter tears twirling alone in the living room for sure. <laughs> and remember when the remember when lockdown first started and there was this wave of, oh, this is your chance to be as productive as possible. Write that screenplay you always wanted to do. Become get into horticulture. It's just like, no. Like let's let's take stock of the reality that's happening. It's okay to to identify and and be seeped in sadness for a moment and, and it's okay to feel fully and just like everything Chris always does I find every execution of of music and and the corresponding mediums the corresponding videos just tantric and and beautiful and uh so fluid and intimate so it's it's a hallmark of what Chris does best I think uh, this song and La Vida Nuova, the EP that it comes from, uh, really are in line with the uh, with the history of LGBTQIA plus music, with you know connected to and engendering dance music. And we've seen other artists uh, who made a mark this year doing something similar. Uh, artists like Perfume Genius and Moses Sumney. But I just want to say also, what a remarkable year for. Um, for incredible expressions of gender and sexuality in popular music, you know, also Anne Jimbley, this really amazing singer-songwriter who's on our list, Waylon Payne and Katie Pruitt in the country Americana space, you know, what an amazing year for this. And I love this. I love that this is happening now. I think you also have to think a little bit about, as you mentioned earlier, Anne, the, the globalization 
that's been happening. You know, she, she sings in French and English on this song, mm-hmm. and I just kept thinking, you know, when you look at songs like this and the popularity of K-pop now and uh, Latinx music, uh, I just, can you think of a time when bilingual or multilingual songs dominated popular music in the U.S. like it has? Not, not exactly, but I will say, I, I'm glad you said that, Robin, because uh, I wanted to mention how this song connects to the history of disco. And the history of disco on every level, sonically, artistically, in terms of identity, in terms of community, but also in terms of disco's internationalism. Because, of course, Euro disco was such a huge part of the 70s. And, you know, you had uh, producers like Sarone and, and so many great, you know, Donna Summer m- making music with Giorgio Moroder. And to me, there is an evocation of that international moment in disco in what Christine and the Queens does. We, we talked about disco, I think, was it the last New Music Friday episode we did or the, the next to the last you took me to school about it? <laughs> well, I disco live in the rocks. school of disco. <laughs> I, live in, I, li- I, I am an adjunct professor at Disco University. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot of love for people I've been sad, not just from us. I saw that it popped up on a lot of top five lists out there. Time Magazine picked it, picked it as their song of the year. Oh, um, wow. And we're now at uh, the number one song of the year from the NPR music list, the song that landed at the top of our uh, best songs of 2020 list from Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. This is WAP. Seven days a week. Wet ass pussy. Make that pullout game weak. Yeah, you fucking with some wet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass pussy. Give me everything you got for this wet ass pussy. Beat it up, nigga, catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top, I wanna ride. I do a giggle, what is inside? Spit in my mouth, look in my eyes. This pussy is wet, come take a dive. Tie me up like I'm surprised. That's role play, I wear disguise. I want you to park that Big Mac truck right in this little garage. Make it cream, make me scream. I don't public, make the scene. I don't cook. I don't clean, but let Aye. me tell you, I got Aye. this ring. Gobble me, swallow me, drip down inside of me. Quit yeah. jump out for you, let it get inside of me. I tell them where to put it, never tell them where I'm about to be. I run down on them before I have a nigga running me. Talk your shit, bite your lip. Ask for a car while you ride that dick. You really ain't never got him fucking for a thing. He already made his mind up before he came. Now get your boots, hang your This is NPR. <laughs> Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, the song WAP. The song that came out in August and Sydney, I I think it's one, you know, when it first dropped, you knew right away where it was going to be sitting at the end of the year. Uh, it was just like an instant head turner. Absolutely. The cultural reset we didn't know we needed. But before we get all get into all the juicy details, <clears throat> pun intended, I want to give a shout out to Brianna Younger, who put out an eloquent, uh, concise, amazingly analytical Uh, blurb about the number one song and I'm just going to read it real quick so Brianna calls it a spectacle of unity between two of music's brightest talents Meg is a more traditional stylist whose voice oozes confidence while Cardi is all theatrics and humor effortlessly selling every last line no matter how ridiculous or anatomically incorrect a synergy that reflects the best qualities of one through the prism of the other 
together, they are magic, which is just a great way to sum it up and a great way to celebrate the two women coming together and having a moment of true sisterhood in a genre that would rather pit them against each other. And even as you see in the music video, the last few frames are shout outs to other women who are doing their thing in, in the industry, whether it be um, a Sukiana or a Rosalia, who is one of NPR Music's lauded favorites. So I just want to know as, no shade Robin, but as the women, <laughs> as the women on screen and on this panel, how do you think this uh, elevates sisterhood in music? Oh, man, that's such a good question. I mean, the first song that honestly came to mind when this song came about was like, honestly, like the Ladies Night, like the Lil' Kim remix, because I remember that song used to be elevated as like an exception. Like, come mm -hmm. on, guys, this is something that hip hop could really aspire to if it really wanted to. Like, imagine having that many female artists in the fold, much less ones that can all kind of like come together and like celebrate each other's existence and really honor it. And so I think, um, you know, I think we're at a moment as epitomized by what we're like, hopefully that ladies night is no longer the exception. It's the rule. And yes. that like, I think like seeing how these artists in particular have kind of really bonded together to really establish that dominance, I think is so heartening. For me, uh, the, I guess the most important thing about, about this song is the way it gestures towards history as well. And mm. the crucial history of black women in popular music starting with uh, the blues queens of the 1920s, and you know, whereas those artists addressed sexuality and you know with such pride and and humor, just as this song does, and and frankness, uh, you know, through artists like Millie Jackson, you know, raunchy soul artists of the 60s, you know, uh, I'm going back to Etta James too in the 50s, uh, jazz artists like Dinah Washington, you know, and then as you're saying, Christina, 90s rappers like Foxy Brown and Lil' Kim, um, to me this song draws that lineage forward into the 21st century so beautifully, as does the video in a way, like, you know, there is a burlesque quality to what they're doing. I mean, the costumes, the dancing, but again, the humor and the humor is so important. And that's yes. what resonates for me. Yeah, the the a lot of the conversation that propped up around this song was obviously feathers were frazzled by people who want to police women's bodies and police women's voices and freedom. But there was so much about, oh, this is part of a renaissance for women in rap. But then if you look at a lot of things that have been happening in music in the past few years, even even on NPR Music's team, I want to say it was either 2018 or 2019 when our top five songs were all by women artists and, and it was made into something of a headline. But we were like, they put out the best music of the year. What are you talking about? You know, they didn't put, the, put out the best music for women. They put out the best music, period. So we're right. giving them their flowers. Um, so I think we are, we just have to divest from like reinforcing a revisionist history around women in rap because like literature like yours points to and also other things like God Save the Queens by Kathy Yandley or the forthcoming book The Mother Low by Clover Hope. Women have always been integral in hip hop. Women are a driving force in the music industry and in hip hop specifically, I'll say. But I think what really is a renaissance point is the agency that's happening behind the scenes with the marketing people, with the brand collaborations, with the A&Rs, with people who are starting their own labels, with a lot of women being able to have financial freedom to put out the music themselves. And I think that's the real renaissance point is like 
when not only the bars you're put in front of the camera and to show the bars, but you got the coin to own everything. Oh, man, that's so true. That's so true, Sydney. I just want to add like folks like Trina and Kyan in that conversation, because it was funny, like even Cardi B said on Twitter, it was like, you guys like this is nothing new, even in the genre of hip hop, right? Like, and so I think like, what was funny about that was that the backlash was almost just as old fashioned, where it was like, what era are we in right now? Is Bill O'Reilly speaking to us? Or like, what's going on? (laughs) But I mean, that was just so funny. And like, the way that it kind of like plays out in the song, I think is really integral too, because this whores in this house, sample like Mm -hmm. it's been used in hip-hop many times before but by male artists so this is like the first uh opportunity that we have to where like we get to hear the other perspective and they're kind of just being like hey i heard you were talking about us like wait till you see how much fun we have been having exactly without you there's not a single man in that video let's talk about that there might be some male tigers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Who's to oh say? Gosh, you're right. Wait, you're right. Okay, I, stand I, I love the way they reclaim. I, I love the way in the video and in the lyrics of the song, you know, they're reclaiming these images that, that, you know, might be phallic images, might be images that men had used in the past. Even, even uh, you know, Robin, how do you feel about WAP? <laughs> I was just going to yes, say. Yes, I'm so well, sorry, I, Robin. I didn't mean to totally get you out on your own thing. I mean, the phrase itself, what WAP stands for. It's, um, it's white Anglo-Protestant. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, how if you think about the way we... The way historically we've talked about the blues and how, you know, black snake moan is at the center of that conversation. And honestly, phallic imagery is at the center of that conversation as it's played out. Well, forget it. Let's go back to when it was Sugar in My Bowl from Bessie Smith. And that's what this song does. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a, a real flag planting moment. You know, like you talk about what an amazing year it was for oh, women. Robin, and rap that's and... so phallic. I'm sorry to interrupt you. That's so phallic. Flag planting the flag. I didn't even know You know, at the end of a war, you've won the war, and you've, you're planting the flag, you know, raising, raising the flag. Oh you can't God. say anything. Right. <laughs> One of the, I mean, one of the last things I'll say in that I feel like there is a bellwether moment is a lot of people self-interrogating what they thought was acceptable and what they thought their um, allegiance were to certain movements. Uh, I'll say like the feminist movement. And and it was a wake-up call for a lot of people who, you know, they had to question if your feminism isn't intersectional to the point where it includes black and brown women and it isn't for sexual freedom and sexual agency of women's bodies who does it really cater to like who is what is it actually reinforcing and what is the function what is the what is the productivity in that i think um (laughs) this song does a lot more it it packs way more of a punch than just a three-minute video it's crazy wap this is a song from cardi b and megan the stallion yes Oh, shout out. Sorry. One more thing, Robin. Yes. Just as I just as I um, read from Brianna Younger's uh, uh, excerpt from what she wrote about the song for our number one list, Brianna did a stellar job of aligning the stars, which are, you know, a myriad of freelance writers um, to talk about. 20 or 30 other songs by women rappers who have been dominating this year. And I'm talking about women like Baby Mother, Tierra Wack, No Name, uh, Mulatto, Ken the Man, Bree Runway, Ivy Soul, Young M.A., the list goes on and on. So 
she did a great job of getting that all together, wrangling all those writers, editing it down. And I I want to implore everyone to go check out that list on NPR Music Live now as of today, as well as checking out our top 10, top 20, top five, all that. And check out the other... Check out the other theme list we have this week. We have a sad disco list, a list for dancing alone. There's a, oh, yeah. a great list um, of protest songs, uh, along with the other great coverage we've done in protest songs this week, and more coming. So 2020, the year that will never end. Oh, it just keeps giving. It's been a gift. Uh, all that stuff is at npr.org slash music. Uh, also, our top 50 albums list is up. Uh, but that'll do it for this uh, special live edition of uh, All Songs Considered to count down the top five songs uh, from NPR Music's list. Uh, I want to thank everyone who was here today. Sydney, thank you so much for taking a break from Louder thank Than a Riot. Everyone needs to listen to that podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> also, Ann Powers there in Nashville. Thanks, Ann. Thank you, Robin. And Christina, thank you. Thanks so much, everyone. All right. For NPR Music and All Songs Considered, I'm Robin Hilton. Bye, everybody.